Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oreo Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen in the same room in the warehouse. However, if you are watching on YouTube or Facebook, we are on separate screens. The old double box, if you will, Brendan, because you're serving as producer today. I am. It is giving me middle of the pandemic flashbacks to when we were doing these podcasts in our apartment you know what what is not ideal what is the middle of the pandemic who's to say you know goodness don't open that can of worms paul (laughs) let me tell you i thought july 2020 might have been middle of the pandemic and here we are here we are all right uh we are going to be talking on this podcast about a lot of things mostly the rotation at the end of the show we are going to be previewing our all Earl Weaver draft, which we will be beginning on January 4th, and we will be finishing on January 11th. And essentially, myself and Brendan and Tim Leonard, our other producer, will be constructing the three best teams full of the best players to have ever played under Earl Weaver in Baltimore. And we're going to be doing a draft lottery of sorts to determine the order of that draft. But first, Brendan... Our main topic of conversation revolves around the rotation. We are doing our last podcast here of 2021. We're in the midst of a lockout. The Orioles still have quite a lot of question marks in their rotation. We have John Means at the very top. He's solidified there. Right before the lockout, the Orioles came to an agreement. Haven't put pen to paper officially yet with Jordan Lyles, veteran righty, who seems to fit into that number two spot, given the fact that they gave him a $7 million guaranteed contract, and he is by far the most experienced member of this rotation. They could add to this rotation in free agency, but otherwise they are left with Means, Lyles, and then a whole bunch of guys with not a lot of experience and all roughly the same age between the ages of 24 and 27 who have very similar resumes. Yeah. There's probably what eight guys. I think we're going to go through outside of John means and Jordan Lyles that could potentially be factors in this rotation this year, which leads me to believe that the Orioles will probably add a free agent pitcher at some point in the off season, whether or not that's a major league signing or a multiple year signing. I don't think it will be. I think if there's a few names we could look at, maybe a Matt Harvey, Chris Archer, we'll get into more about that in a little while. But I think the number three starter will more than likely be a free agent. But like you said, at the top of the rotation, you have to start with John Means. He was by far the best Orioles pitcher last season. He had a 362 ERA in his 26 starts. He's going to be the ace on Baltimore's staff. That's not really a question. We don't need to spend much time there, nor do we need to spend a ton of time on Jordan Lyles. Like you said, he is being paid to be the number two starter in this rotation. The numbers are not as good as somebody like John Means, but he's going to eat innings. He's going to help this bullpen out a lot, and I think he is a very capable starter in this rotation. Would he ideally be the number two? Probably not, but for what you are paying him, he he is going to get the job done to eat innings and to get a decent amount of wins in there somewhere. I think the first name after those top two 
is probably Bruce Zimmerman because he was the most consistent last year. I think out of the rest of the bunch, Zimmerman is probably the one who gets the nod as as close to a lock as the top two. Yeah, he turns 27 in February, so he's one of the older guys on this list. He has three options remaining, so not a problem if they need to option him down to AAA. They they don't have to expose him to waivers in that case. Pitched in just 14 games last year, made 13 starts, had a 5.04 ERA. He did miss significant time with biceps tendonitis, and he had a right ankle sprain after he was rehabbing from that biceps tendonitis. So we didn't get to see a whole lot of him, but what we saw was pretty good on the field. Now, he had two quality starts in his first two appearances and didn't have a quality start after that. That's a little bit concerning, the fact that he had his best at the very beginning of the season, but he did end the season on slightly a better note. So by coming back from that right ankle sprain and showing that he could be in that rotation, the issue for me, Brendan, is the underlying numbers, the stat cast numbers are not very good. He was in the bottom third percentile, according to StatCast, in expected ERA, expected batting average against, expected slugging percentage against, hard hit percentage, and average exit velo. You look at all those numbers and you say, that guy should not have a 504 ERA, but look, he had a small, smaller sample size. 14 games is not a whole lot. But if we had seen a little bit more of Bruce Zimmerman, if he'd been a little bit healthier and made 25 to 30 starts, that 504 ERA probably would have been closer to six or seven. Yeah, and analytical numbers aside, even if you just wanted to do the good old-fashioned eye test, Bruce Zimmerman was never dominating games. I don't think there were many starts where Bruce Zimmerman went out and you felt really good about Bruce Zimmerman going into the fifth or sixth inning, but he was pretty consistent getting to that point. He never allowed more than five earned runs in a start. He only allowed five runs once. He only allowed four earned runs once. So in 11 of those 13 starts, he allowed three runs or fewer, which is consistently keeping you in games. However, he only pitched after the fifth inning in five of his 13 starts. So he was not working very deep into games. The bullpen had to work pretty hard in Bruce Zimmerman's starts. That being said, he kept you in those games. So it's a balance, but yeah. you never know. He might have given up more runs if he was working into that fifth or sixth inning, because like you said, the advanced statistics are not in favor of Bruce Zimmerman. But I think ideally, if he's a back end of the rotation starter, maybe a number four or a number five, you'll take five innings and three earned runs, which I think he can give you pretty consistently, which is more than you can say about some of the other prospects that the Orioles are looking at in this rotation who have the potential to be better than that, but so far have been inconsistent to the point where you don't know if they can keep you in games. So Bruce Zimmerman, I think because of that consistency, is probably close to a lock for the Orioles rotation to start the year. You might have the lowest ceiling of the guys on this list, but hopefully the Orioles know that they have a higher floor with Bruce Zimmerman. And I think at the very least, he's earned a chance to start games going into next season. Now, things could change. Spring training, I think, will be a telltale sign for all of these guys, uh, including Keegan Aiken, who last spring training had 10 earned runs in 10 innings in spring. And the Orioles, the guy went into the season as a seemingly a lock for that rotation, ended up not making the team out of camp and heading to Norfolk. So let's talk about Keegan Aiken because I think he's in a similar mold to Bruce Zimmerman. Not a super high ceiling, although he was a top 
30 top 15 prospect in a lesser Orioles system. The system has gotten better since the days that Keegan Aiken was near the top of the O's prospect lists. He has one option remaining, so they can send him down and not expose him to waivers. Turns 27 in April, so about the same age as Bruce Zimmerman. Appeared in more games last year. A little bit healthier. 24 games, 17 starts, but that ERA was 6-6-2. And for a guy that threw almost 100 innings at the big league level, that is a major concern. Yeah, a 6-6-2 ERA is not good, nor is a 1.579 whip. Yeah. His expected ERA was a little bit better at 530, but I think the important thing to keep in mind with Keegan Aiken and why I think he might start the year in this rotation is that he finished the year off pretty well. He was a lot better down the stretch in his final eight games specifically. He pitched just a tick over 40 innings and had an ERA of 446, which is not all that overly impressive. It would have been the second best ERA on the Orioles starting staff last year, but that stretch of eight games included two starts against the Toronto Blue Jays, who had one of the best lineups in all of Major League Baseball, a start against Boston, a start against the Yankees, and a start against the World Series champion Braves. So a 446 ERA against a lot of very good teams down the stretch is at least encouraging, even though the numbers as a whole throughout the season were not very good. It seemed like Keegan Aiken was able to pick up the pace a little bit towards the end of last year, and maybe there were enough things to grow on leading into this season. Yeah, and the underlying numbers slightly better than Bruce Zimmerman, but not a whole lot. Bottom 20th percentile and expected ERA, expected batting average against, exit, average exit below, hard hit percentage, barrel percentage. So... Not near the top of the league by any stretch uh, for Keegan Aiken. And I think he fits into a similar category as Bruce Zimmerman. Maybe he's a tick below because around the same age, um, probably around the same ceiling, and maybe deserves another chance. I mean, I don't think he's in cut territory. He might not make the team out of spring training if he has a similar spring training in 2022 to the one he had in 2021. I mean, in that case, the Orioles might have to send him down, but... I think odds are he probably makes the team out of spring training and either he fits in at the very back end of this rotation as a number five guy, or I think they just send him to the bullpen and make him long relief. Yeah, I think probably you and I have both said on previous podcasts that long term past this season, Keegan Aiken probably profiles best as a swingman, as a long reliever, yeah. simply because there are a lot of Orioles pitching prospects that have higher ceilings than Keegan Aiken. And you and I have been kind of of the thinking that, okay, if a prospect is coming up that needs to get starts, who are you going to bump out of this rotation? And Keegan Aiken has kind of been the name that has consistently been floated as the one that you would bump. But if he is pitching the way he pitched in the last eight games of last year, maybe he has a spot as the fourth or fifth starter in a potential rotation. All right, so those are the lower ceilinged pitching prospects in the Orioles system. Prospects used lightly there as both those guys have accrued a number of innings at the big league level. The next guys we're going to talk about, higher ceiling, but less experienced and younger. Start with Zach Lowther. I've seen his name come up in some of the comments. Zach on YouTube, not Zach Lowther. Zach, Maybe it's Zach Lowther's it's burner account on make, YouTube saying, <laughs> yeah. hey, I'm going to be in the rotation. Promoting himself. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I know Zach. He's too humble for that. Uh, Zach Lowther last year uh, didn't get a whole lot of experience and 
had a big league experience that was interrupted. Remember, he came up at the very beginning of the season, had to close out a game, was sent back down immediately after, got a bunch of starts in Norfolk, came back up as a starter, used as a reliever at times, 10 games, six starts at the big league level, a 6-6-7 ERA, struck out over nine batters per nine, 1.65 whip. That is a very high number. Uh, but one encouraging sign, I will say, a 550 fielding, independent pitching. So essentially you strip away all the fielding factors and he should have been slightly better than his numbers indicate from that. However, 667 ERA is not great. He does turn 26 in April. So he's a year younger than the Bruce Zimmerman's and Keegan Aikens of the world. Uh, But I would hazard a guess to say that he probably wishes his big league, his first year in the big leagues would have gone better than it did in 2021. Yeah, absolutely. But when you look at that 667 ERA, he was also thrown into a really tough situation. I think during the season, you and I were both curious as to why you call up Zach Lowther and automatically throw him in the bullpen. I mean, his debut was closing out a game against the Boston Red Sox when he had gone his entire minor league career as a very successful starting pitcher. And it seemed like once Lowther was able to get into a little bit of a rhythm towards the end of the year where he was used as a starter a little bit more consistently, he pitched better because that's the role that he is used to. That's the role that he's comfortable with. Whether or not he gets that opportunity again at the beginning of this season remains to be seen. He might be used out of the bullpen. And I think both of our predictions as of right now are that he probably will come out of the bullpen to start the year but his last two starts were really good he had a start against Texas and a start against Boston he went five full innings in both of those starts allowed just one run total over those 10 innings punched out 11 and only walked two batters so I know it's only two starts against one good team and one not so good team But at least that's encouraging, and it seems like as he was able to find his rhythm as a starter a little bit, he improved. So I I would like to see Zach Lowther get more of an opportunity to start consistently because I think it's really difficult to evaluate a young starting pitching prospect when you're saying, okay, maybe you'll start every five days, but then maybe we'll use you out of the bullpen occasionally, and maybe you'll toss an inning here or an inning there. I'm going to make the same argument for Mike Bauman as we talk about him in a little while. I think he needs a start, a, an opportunity, excuse me, to consistently start so we can properly evaluate how he might be as a starter and how he might function in that role. I think Brandon Hyde was put in a difficult spot with the 2021 season with a lack of quality pitchers to use in certain instances. And I think the Orioles were forced at times to call up a Zach Lowther, a Alexander Wells, Uh, even a Mike Bauman, to fill these relief holes because... Yeah, you just need arms at that point. You need arms. And also, remember, 2021 was a strange season. Not all these, you know, all these guys did not have a full regular 2020. So a lot of these guys, for the reason we get questions about why Grayson Rodriguez wasn't allowed to pitch seven innings in double A, it's because he didn't have a full 2020 and they wanted him to pitch from May to September. You know, they wanted him to get a full season in, and so they had to pace him along the way. So I think the Orioles were trying to do that at times with a lot of these guys. However, I think when you have a guy like Zach Lowther that has been a starter for his entire minor league career, similar to Mike Bauman, keep him as a starter. And they might go through some tough patches. They might 
you know, have starts like he had against the Red Sox earlier on in the season. Now he had a better start against the Red Sox at the end of the year, but remember his start at Camden Yards, first big league start, did not go well at all. So you're going to have to be able to get through those. And that's why I think the addition of like a Jordan Lyles is important because you're going to get starts, blow up starts from your young guys occasionally. And you have to be able to weather the storm. You have to be able to stick through the, it with these guys. So I think I would like to see Lowther get regular starts in this rotation, considering he's going to be 26. He's in the medium ground there in terms of age. He's got two options left, so you you know don't have to worry. If he's really struggling, you can send him back down to the minors. You don't have to worry about exposing him to waivers. So I would like to see him get regular starts in a big league rotation, either at the start of the year or early on in 2022. Right, and that's not really a commentary on the Orioles pitching prospects in particular, right? I mean, a, a pitching prospect is going to come up and he is probably going to have blow up starts every once in a while. You can look at even some of the better rookie starting pitchers from last year across baseball, Trevor Rogers, Shane McClanahan, Alec Manoa. They all had starts that were pretty rough that they didn't get out of the third or fourth inning and they needed the bullpen to come clean it up. And, and that's a very good point about Jordan Lyles there, Paul. He's going to eat innings. And when you have a lot of starting pitchers, Everybody that we have talked about after Means and Lyles yeah. is pretty much a prospect. Right. So you're going to have some starts where they are not getting you out of the fourth or fifth inning. And again, I don't blame Brandon Hyde for using Zach Lowther in the situation that he did. He needed bullpen arms. Zach Lowther is a good pitcher that was in the minor leagues. Pretty simple there. But Zach Lowther, that being said, still didn't have... The best opportunity, I think, to really succeed in the majors the way he would have wanted to in his debut year. And the same can be said, I think, for Alexander Wells. Was put in a very similar position where sometimes he's starting, sometimes he's coming out of the bullpen. He pitched in 11 games, had eight starts, and I think was probably better than his 6.75 ERA would indicate. Yeah, I think what was more encouraging about Wells that concerned me slightly with Lowther is Lowther... When, when he went down to Norfolk, had 30 and a third innings pitched there, 6-5-3 ERA. So he was struggling even at the AAA level. Right. That didn't happen for Alexander Wells. When he was down at AAA, he had a 3-2-9 ERA with 50, in 54 innings. So that is what you would expect to see from a guy who the last time we saw him in, 2020, in 2019, rather, was at the AA level, dominating at the AA level, like both of these guys did. So a little concerning from Lowther. Um, but it was good to see from Alexander Wells. Now, he turns 25 in February, so he's younger than all these guys pretty much. Uh, and he, like Lowther, ended the season on a positive note. One His only quality start of the season came in his last start, one earned run in six innings against Boston on September 30th. So a little bit encouraging. You know, Lowther doesn't have excellent stuff, and Wells has... Worse stuff than Lowther, so both of these guys, I think, have a slightly uphill battle, Wells even more so, to make it in a big league rotation, but I'm still intrigued. I'm still intrigued by what Alexander Wells has, and we hear Brandon Hyde say at the end of the year, look, they're pitching against AL East teams that not only have strong offensive lineups, but these are lineups that know how to draw out counts and know how to take pitches, and that is going to be incredibly difficult when you're facing teams like the Rays and teams like the Red Sox that are so focused on on-base percentage and will take as many walks as you give them. 
that can really hurt a pitcher, a young pitcher who is struggling with command like both of these guys did last year. However, they're going to have to face AL East teams their entire career if they stay with the Orioles. So they're going to have to get through it. It was a difficult road in 2021 for both these guys, but they're going to have to face the Red Sox, Yankees, Rays, Blue Jays every year. So it's going to be an uphill battle, and when they can figure that out and who can figure it out is going to be what tells the story of their careers. Right. It's a fair point made there by Brandon Hyde where it is tough to evaluate these really young pitchers when they are facing very good AL East lineups. But like you said, Paul, the AL East is not going anywhere. These young pitchers are going to have to figure it out. Yeah. And similarly to Lowther, it seemed like the opportunity to be a full-time starter in September was pretty helpful for Alexander Wells. He was not fantastic. He had two tough games against the Yankees and Red Sox, two of those AL East teams where he allowed five earned runs in nine total innings between those two starts. But he ended the year with a five-inning, three-earned run performance against Texas. And then, like you mentioned before, that quality start against Boston where he goes six innings, one earned run. So, again, I would like to see a, a more consistent role for all of these guys for Lowther, for Wells, for Mike Bauman, who came up last year, whether or not that's possible, who knows? You're going to have to bounce some guys out of the starting rotation. But it's pretty clear to me that having a more consistent starting role was helpful for Lowther and Wells to get their rhythm. Bauman, to me, might have the highest ceiling of these three guys, of all the guys that we've talked about so far, considering he's a top 10 prospect in a very loaded system right now. He's 26 years old, and he wasn't used as a starter when he came up at all last year. He came out of the bullpen exclusively in September. Probably a large part of that is due to the fact that it was September. He had already been pitching for a large portion of the season. Remember, he missed time at the beginning of the season with injury as well. So the Orioles didn't want to throw him right into the fire of starting games. He was not great in his big league sample size. 11 earned runs, 5 strikeouts in just 10 innings pitched. All of them came out in September and all out of the bullpen. Bauman, I would like to see start games similar to both these guys. How you're going to get starts for all of these guys, I just don't know. And I'm not positive that Bauman is as ready as a Zach Lowther or Alexander Wells because he has had less experience at the AAA level. Uh, I think he has the highest ceiling. I would say in terms of the pecking order right now, I think Lowther is probably going to get a shot soon. I think Wells will get an opportunity to start games early in 2021, if not starting the first week. However, I could see the Orioles being a little bit more patient with Mike Bauman, maybe sending him down to AAA Norfolk, waiting for injuries or poor performance to open a hole in the rotation, and then bumping him up and giving him an opportunity. Well, the interesting thing with Bauman, if you look at the Orioles rotation as a whole, you and I are both assuming that the Orioles are going to add another free agent starting pitcher. I think both of us have guessed that that free agent starting pitcher is probably going to be right-handed. But if the Orioles do not sign a free agent starting pitcher, and if somebody doesn't come out of nowhere to claim a rotation spot, you could have a five-man rotation of Means, Lyles, Zimmerman, Aiken, and then if we're going by that pecking order, it would be Zach Lowther, which means you have four lefties and one right-handed pitcher in your five, which I don't know if that would make a huge difference because I think the Orioles are probably just going with their five best starting pitchers. But if you're looking at the order of next man up, you've got Zach Lowther, who's a lefty, 
Alexander Wells is a yeah. lefty. So maybe if you want a right-handed starting pitcher as the fifth man in your rotation, you go with Mike Bauman. Yeah, if, if he, he has if the highest ceiling up. of a right-handed pitching prospect who has already flashed at the majors, maybe it's Bauman. Yeah, and, and we're just going off of what we saw at the end of 2021. Right. Spring training is going to, like I said, spring training is going to determine the fates of a lot of these guys because could open some eyes. Or, you know, these guys have several months to change and refine their games before they get to Sarasota. And spring training will change them some things. At this point last year, I don't think we were saying Bruce Zimmerman is a lock to make the rotation. And there he was up in Boston making the third start of the season, I believe. So things can change. And if Mike Bauman looks like he has fully developed and he is ready to take over in a big league rotation, I think the Orioles won't hesitate to give him that opportunity earlier rather than later. One yeah. guy they've given a lot of opportunities to, Brendan, and has not made the most of those, unfortunately, is another righty, and that's Dean Kramer. 13 starts in Baltimore last year, a 7.55 ERA, almost eight strikeouts per nine, that's good, but a 1.64 whip really, really struggled. Now, this was not a, a case of like Bauman or Wells or Lowther where you could say he wasn't used, you know, in the way that maybe he will in the rest of his career. No, Dean Kramer... All of his appearances were starts. The Orioles gave him an opportunity for the first several months of the season to get the ball every five or six days, and he just was not good enough. And it was really frustrating, I think, for us and for fans to watch, considering how good he looked in 2020 and how much of a drop-off we saw in 2021. Yeah, but I think given how good he was in 2020, there is still reason to be hopeful about Dean Kramer. I don't want him to completely fall off the map when we're talking about Orioles pitching prospects, because honestly, if I'm looking at this group of candidates outside the top five guys that we mentioned, I think Dean Kramer has a real chance to be a Bruce Zimmerman type where he could have a really, really strong spring training. The stuff is there. Dean Kramer has always been a stuff guy who has not been able to figure it out command wise. But if he has a strong spring training, Paul, where he is not walking a lot of batters, he's not giving up a ton of home runs, I think Dean Kramer has a chance to sneak into this rotation. Because if he has a strong spring training, the stuff is there. Maybe he was able to figure some things out in AAA where the ERA was still not great, but it was better. So maybe he's been able to take the time away from the majors to refine some things, work on some mechanics. And maybe he can get back close to that 2020 form. And if there's anybody on this list, like I said, that I think has the potential to kind of come out of nowhere and get back into this rotation, I think it's Dean Kramer. What was the lesson that we learned from Cedric Mullins' story? The lesson that we learned from Cedric Mullins was that don't give up on a player that quickly, even exactly. if he has to go down to the minors, because Cedric Mullins was in the minors for a little bit. And then we saw what he did last year. Exactly. Cedric Mullins came up his rookie year, looked good, flash potential, had a disastrous 2019, had a subpar 2020, starting in center field in the All-Star game, and had one of the best seasons in Oriole history. I don't know if that's in the cards for Dean, Dean Kramer. Dean Kramer is going to be yeah. starting the All-Star game for the American League. Put your money on it. That's that's the... Paul Mancano said it. You heard it right here now. first. My point is... The Orioles are in an opportunity where they can afford guys like Dean Kramer a second chance. And even though those second chances don't always work out, oftentimes they 
turn into, you know, they, they just reaffirm what you already knew about these guys. Sometimes they get something figured out. And Dean Kramer can't exactly throw with the left hand, like, you know, Cedric Mullins decided to cut switch hitting. Can't make a change like that. But maybe there well, is a change. you never know. Maybe he, needs, he could. I will say he needs to rediscover his changeup because he opponents hit 556 Ooh. against Dean Kramer's changeup last year. And his Norfolk stats were not great either. 491 ERA in 62 innings. Bottom second percentile, according to StatCast, and expected ERA, barrel percentage, slug percentage, chase rate. Guys were just sitting on his stuff. So that has to change. It could, but he's got an uphill battle. And I think that the Orioles will probably start him in Norfolk just to get his confidence back up, if I had to guess. Yeah, I I think there's a pretty good chance. I think it's probable that he starts at AAA Norfolk. I just think of the list that we've talked about, he has one of the higher ceilings and and one of the higher potentials to have a quality spring training and work his way back into the rotation. Definitely. Now, two guys that we have not yet seen in Baltimore, Kyle Bradish and Kevin Smith, both both prospects that were added to the 40-man roster this past offseason. Bradish is a 25-year-old righty. Remember, he came back from the Angels in the Alex Cobb trade. He was promoted to Norfolk in 2021 after three scoreless starts in Bowie. He was so electric, they sent him right up to Norfolk, and he did so-so. 4-2-6 ERA, struck out almost 11 per nine, walk rate, he was walking 4.1 batters per nine. That's way too high in, in 86.2, 86 and two-thirds innings at Norfolk. Bradish, I think... If he comes to camp and he's electric, the Orioles might give him a spot on the roster, but it's hard to see at this point him leapfrogging like the likes of an Alexander Wells, Zach Lowther, Mike Bauman. Well, look, there's not a lot of solid starting pitchers in this opening day five for the Baltimore Orioles, but you have a lot of guys who are close and a lot of guys that you can make a case for, which means that you don't have to rush Kyle Bradish. You don't need to rush Kevin Smith because there are plenty of options that you can turn to and say, okay, they deserve a chance. Now they deserve a chance. Now they deserve a chance. And Kyle Bradish, as good as he is, I think he has a chance to leapfrog some of these guys. He'll probably leapfrog somebody like Dean Kramer if Dean Kramer doesn't have a strong spring training or light the world on fire at AAA. I could see that happening. I could see him potentially leapfrogging somebody like Alexander Wells, who has profiled more as a long reliever. But I don't think you need to rush Bradish because there are just so many options that the Orioles could turn to in this rotation. Not a lot of them are solid, but they all have chances to be pretty good. And I think the same case can be made for Kevin Smith. It's just not quite their time yet. They need to wait a little bit longer because I think Michael Elias will want to churn through as many potential options as possible because he doesn't want to miss anything. Yeah. You don't want to not no give Mike Bauman starts yeah. and then maybe he could have been a really great starter. You just want to make sure that you're exhausting your options. No stone unturned. Exactly. Uh, it, and that's how guys like Cedric Mullins get a second chance, I right. think, in a lot of instances. Yeah, so there's no reason to rush either... Kyle Bradish or Kevin Smith. Bradish is 25, Smith is 24. So Bradish is a little bit older. I think he's closer to the bigs. And Smith was not as good uh, in Norfolk last year. 6-2-3 ERA uh, after he was excellent in Bowie to start the season and uh, got his first taste of AAA and struggled, which is understandable. So I think both these guys have a chance to debut this year. 
Uh, I just don't think that they're highly, it's highly probable that they will be in the big league rotation in April. Yeah, I don't think they crack the opening day roster unless, I think the only scenario is if Kyle Bradish lights the world on fire in spring training and then all of a sudden you like need to have him in the rotation because he was so good. I yeah. think that's really the only scenario that I see happening where one of them is in the rotation at the beginning of the year. I think they're both wait and see guys yeah. by the middle of the season because at that point there will probably be injuries. You will get a more of a chance to evaluate guys like Zimmerman and Aiken and Lowther. And as that situation starts to pan out, then you can add somebody like Kyle Bradish if he's pitching well at AAA. And same thing with Kevin Smith. But I don't see them being added until the middle of the season because you just don't need that many cooks in the kitchen at that point at the beginning of the year. Now, there are a couple dark horse candidates. And I know it seems unlikely that these guys could crack the big league rotation in April. But there is a chance. Look back to 2019. Absolutely nobody was saying John Means is going to be in this starting rotation and going to be in the All-Star game uh, by midseason. Nobody that offseason, 2018-19 offseason, had even mentioned John Means. If you can find it, you know, prove me wrong. But I can't find audio clips or any writing pieces that even mention John Means' (laughs) existence. So guys can come out of the woodwork and surprise in spring training and earn a spot. It can happen before. At this point last year, we weren't really talking about Bruce Zimmerman being a starter in that rotation. He got an opportunity in 2020, but we thought, eh, you know, maybe he'll be in the in the bullpen uh, in 2021, but probably not. Probably, he's probably not going to be a starter. And there he was starting in Boston. So one of these guys could theoretically have an outstanding spring and make a, a leap. Two guys that I want to mention in particular, two righties, Cody Sedlock and Blaine Knight. 26 years old for Sedlock, 25 for Blaine Knight. Sedlock had a 4.45 ERA in 30 innings at Norfolk. Blaine Knight, 8.449. Both guys who were drafted by the Dan Duquette regime. Both guys who were highly drafted. Sedlock was a first rounder. I believe Knight was a third rounder. Uh, both a little bit older. So there's a chance. I don't think it's likely. But especially considering the Orioles did not protect either of these guys from the Rule 5 draft. Uh, but I think there is a chance, if they pitch well enough, that they could come up and start games. Maybe they come up in, in the bullpen, and then the Orioles need a spot start, and they feel comfortable throwing a sedlocker night in here, but I think I would be remiss if we didn't at least mention their names. Yeah, I think there's a possibility. I think the Rule 5 draft, honestly, will be a pretty good indication of whether or not these guys could be starters at the Major League level. I think either teams around the league will think that they have that potential, in which case they might get drafted in the Rule 5 draft, or maybe teams don't think they have that potential to reach a starting rotation at the bigs, at which point the Orioles probably won't either. But I think an important thing to keep in mind, too, was when Michael Elias, I believe the question was probably about Grayson Rodriguez, in terms of does a pitching prospect need to pitch at AAA Norfolk for them to make their Orioles debut, to which his answer was, no, I don't really think they need to. They can probably go up from AA to the Orioles right away without necessarily having to pitch at AAA. Now, that probably applies more to a high-end pitching prospect that you feel more comfortable with skipping AAA. But if there's a double-A pitcher that has performed really well and then all of a sudden has a fantastic spring training, 
I don't know. Maybe they could make a case for the Orioles rotation as well. And you're not just looking at AAA for some potential rotation options. Maybe somebody who performed very well at AA could just skip a level. The Orioles feel comfortable enough. And then all of a sudden, they're in the works for the Orioles. Yeah, I think we've seen some comments so far about Grayson Rodriguez. While Michael Elias did make that comment about Grayson Rodriguez and he kept the door open for him to make the leap directly from double-A Bowie up to the big leagues, I don't think it's likely. Probably not going to happen. I think there's a chance he debuts in 2022. I don't know how high that percent chance is. At this point last year, we were saying the same thing about Adley Rutschman and it just did not happen. But I think that there's a chance. If he's lighting the world on fire in triple-A Norfolk, and you start, he starts the season there, and he's three months in, and he's just mowing guys down, why not bring yeah. him up and get his clock started? So I think that Grayrod has a chance. D.L. Hall has a chance to make his debut this year. I think it's he's probably on a slow-down timeline considering the injury issues. He pitched in just seven games in double-A buoy. I think if he had had a full season, he probably would have finished the 2021 season in Norfolk, and then he might be a good candidate to start games early on in the 2022 season for the Orioles. However, injuries change things. I think he'll probably start, maybe get a couple starts in Bowie or go right to Norfolk, but he'll probably marinate there for a while. Both these guys keep on the table, definitely for the season. However, neither of these guys is going to break camp with the team, in my estimation. Yeah, they will not be in the starting rotation for the Orioles on opening day, unless something drastic happens that we really do not see coming. But I think it's a good point to say that if D.L. Hall and Grayson Rodriguez, we're guessing they will probably start the year at AAA Norfolk. Maybe they start D.L. Hall a little bit lower down and let him work his way back up, considering he's coming back from surgery. But if Grayson Rodriguez has an absolutely dominant first half of the year with AAA Norfolk, it's hard to not call him up to the bigs at that point because what else do you need to see from Grayson Rodriguez and I think you can make the same case for DL Hall where if he is dominating AAA Norfolk for half a year call him up to the bigs because what else do you need to see out of DL Hall I don't think either of them break camp like you said but they have pretty good chances to dominate the minor leagues Grayson Rodriguez being the best pitching prospect in all of baseball, D.L. Hall being a top 10 left-handed pitching prospect in all of baseball. Both of these guys have a chance to be dominant, and if they're doing it at AAA, well, then just call them up to the majors at that point because what else do you need to see? All right, Brendan. Our one through five. I think we're both predicting that the Orioles will not go with a six-man rotation, correct? Yeah. All right. Give me your opening week rotation one through five Orioles open at home I believe in 2022 uh so so who are they lining up for their first two series uh next year you can include free agents that you think they might sign now hot take here I think the opening day starter is going to be John Means I know that's Uh, a hot take don't don't yell at me in the comments insane number two starter Jordan Lyles and then after that is where things get tricky I think the number three starter is going to be a free agent A few of the names that I tossed around earlier, Matt Harvey, Chris Archer, James Paxton. I think for right now, I'm going to pencil in Chris Archer 
just because they're not going to want to spend a ton of money. They they gave Jordan Lyles. He's going to be making around $7 million this year. I think they want another right-handed starting pitcher. Chris Archer has really not been... I, I know he's a big name. He has not been great since 2017 and has struggled with a lot of injuries. So maybe Chris Archer still wants a prove-it deal on not a lot of money. So I'm going to call the number three starter Chris Archer. And then the fourth starter, Bruce Zimmerman. The fifth starter, Keegan Aiken. Okay. I like that. I think Chris Archer, even though he is pretty far removed from his great days of the past, I think that it's he's still probably going to be looking for maybe a little bit more money or maybe he wants to sign with a contender if he's going to sign a short-term deal. So not sure if he's exactly in the Orioles' price range. I'm going to have them re-signing. Matt Harvey. I know that might come as a, you know, to the chagrin of some Orioles fans. However, it's pretty clear the Orioles liked him. He liked the Orioles, and they felt like there was something to build on with the kind of season he had in 2021. And, you know, I don't think Matt Harvey, if the Orioles sign him, is necessarily going to be locked into making 30 starts in 2022. I think there are going to be more guys who are ready to take that rotation spot for Matt Harvey if he struggles, or maybe if the Orioles can find a trade candidate for him. So my starting rotation, Brendan, John Means, Jordan Lyles, Bruce Zimmerman I have sticking in as the number three starter here, then Matt Harvey, then Zach Lowther. I think I'm going to start Keegan Aiken and Alexander Wells as long relief, and if one of those guys in, in the starting five gets hurt or one of those guys struggles... Aiken and Wells can fill in and be a swing starter. Uh, I have Dean Kramer going down to uh, AAA Norfolk just to get his confidence back up. They'll probably give him another opportunity, but want to make sure that he is feeling good before he comes back up to Baltimore. Um, maybe Mike Bauman joins the rotation in June, July, uh, but I think for right now, I think they want to have him starting games in Norfolk to get his confidence back up and get him in a regular rotation. And that's my starting five to start the year. Means, Lyle, Zimmerman, Harvey, Lowther. Yeah, I, I think it's close to a toss-up if Zach Lowther is in the rotation. He's the one that is kind of my one guy looking on the outside in. I think there's a chance he sneaks in over Keegan Aiken, but I think it's hard to ignore the last eight games of the season for Aiken and compare them to how Zach Lowther finished the year. And it was still on a good note, but was not as good of a note as Keegan Aiken. And like I said before, Dean Kramer, still my dark horse to make the rotation out of camp. And I think the hope is, with Buck Britton and his coaching staff now coming up to AAA Norfolk, that the experience, the success that a lot of these guys had in AA Bowie in 2021 leads to better seasons in 2022 in Norfolk. We saw a lot of prospects struggle in AAA Norfolk last year, pitching prospects in particular, and I think the Orioles are hoping to change that this year, and they're, they're pegging Buck Britton and his coaching staff as the guys who can do it. Yeah, which so. is entirely possible because Buck Britton, you saw the success at AA, and hopefully as he's kind of moving up with these top prospects, that success continues at AAA. They're yeah. pretty much putting Buck Britton where their most important prospects are at the time, which is a strategy that seems not to have failed so far. So why not keep it going? And I think Justin Ramsey, I'm not sure if it's, if it is uh, 
confirmed, but I would guess he's probably following Buck Britton up to AAA Norfolk. Probably a good guess. Yeah, not something that's been confirmed, but he has done some amazing work yeah. with the Orioles pitching prospects, and it would make sense that Buck Britton would want to keep a similar coaching staff with him as he moves up. Exactly. All right, Brendan, those are our rotation predictions early. Things will change, and we will discuss them as they change, but they're probably not going to change for at least a month or so as we wait out this lockout. Uh, I mentioned it earlier. We have an all Earl Weaver draft. I am nervous. I'm already nervous. Uh, It's exciting times because we had so much fun with this last year. We're really looking forward to it this year. Again, the dates for that are January 4th and January 11th, and we'll be doing them on Facebook, on YouTube. You can listen to it after the fact. So it's going to be a two-parter. It's going to be exciting, and it is a snake draft. We're going to be doing a draft lottery of sorts, just like the NBA and, you know, Maybe MLB will do this with the new CBA. You never know if they institute a draft lottery. Uh, but essentially, I have myself, you, and Tim on the random order generator here, Brendan. Oh, God. I'm going to be clicking this just once. Oh, no. To determine the order of the all Earl Weaver draft. Do you have a position that you want, Brendan? I do. Whether what, or not what I want to reveal that position. Oh, well, now you don't you want put to me, tell? Well, now no. you put me on the spot here on the podcast. I think... Based on the big board that I've put together and some mock drafts that I've had, I think I want pick three. I think so, too. I think it's the best pick. Yeah. I think uh, you saw it on the promo there, if you're watching. I think Jim Palmer will be drafted early. I think Eddie Murray will be drafted early. But there are a couple guys, a couple infielders that could go off the board. Yeah, basically, it seems to me like if Jim Palmer and Eddie Murray go with picks one and two... Pick three is where you go, okay, I'm going to get the best of the infield, which is as good as Palmer and Eddie Murray were. Having the two best infielders is going to be a a big advantage, but there's also a handful of infielders that could make a case for being those best too. So the third pick probably has the most to gain and the most to lose. I think with a snake draft, the fewer people that you have the more you want to be towards the back end because right. you want the back-to-back three, four is better than one, six right. or two, five. And I don't want two. Yeah. All right, here we go. Randomizing oh it. Oh, boy. The order. Oh, no, I knew this was going to happen. Uh-oh. I get the number one overall pick. Again? Again. You get the number two overall oh. pick again, which means Tim Leonard. Come on. Is in a wonderful position. Going into next year, I Look, see your uh, face is crestfallen. T- Tim's not watching this live. Just hit the button again. Yeah, just hit honestly, the button again. Uh, I'm not doing that, Brendan. That I've already got accused of cheating on the last one. Up so setting. Goodness, oh, man. I just, I know I'm going to get the best play. I know number one overall pick. I get it. But then I have to wait until the sixth overall pick to make my next pick, Brendan. Paul, how is it that we invite our wonderful friends onto this podcast to do yep. a fantasy draft with us? And we are apparently such wonderful friends that we give them the, the best, best pick, pick in every draft. So Tim Leonard gets I hate the it. third overall pick. Brendan has the second overall pick, and I have the number one pick. Who should I take? Everybody, let me know who I should take with the number one overall pick in the all Earl Weaver draft coming to you January 4th. We're so excited. Join us then. That will be our next podcast. In the meantime, we're going to be prepping, mock drafting, doing all that good stuff. At Brendan Morty is Brendan's Twitter handle. Brendan did an excellent job producing, might I say, on this podcast as well. I am at Paul Mancano. 
And uh, thanks so much for tuning in live. Be sure to like. I think you can give a star review now on Spotify, one through Ooh. five stars. So please give us five stars on Spotify in addition to five stars on Apple Podcasts and uh, recommend. And give us a like on YouTube. This is important as well. If you like our YouTube uh, video, if you, you have the time. The, and the algorithm loves the likes, Brendan. That's sure. what I've been told. Yeah, I, we've got to do those YouTube tagline things at the end of our videos now. Like, rate, subscribe. Like, rate, stuff. subscribe. We pretty much do already. Yeah, but. exactly. Thanks so much for tuning in. We will be back next week, January 4th. Join us. Catch you next time.